0: You're listening to Little Green Cheese, Episode 10. Well, welcome back. I'm Gavin Weber, and this podcast is where you can learn about cheese making at home. Well, this week we have an interview with a lady called Carol Castles and she's a home cheesemaker and lives on a farm. Um, Pretty self-sufficient from what I hear. So let's have a listen to the interview.
1: I was fascinated to to find your blog a little while back. Um, and I can't even remember how I found it now. It must have been probably a link through somebody else. Um, And, of course, you don't know how many home cheesemakers there are out there until you start yourself, do you?
0: That's right. You really don't know. You know, it's only through interviews and chasing people up after they comment, and look, comment on the blog that you actually find out, you know, how many are really out there. And there's quite a few. Oh,
1: there seem to be lots. And, um, you know, it's, just because of the way the world is, the majority of people that you bump into on a daily basis will just probably think you're a bit crazy. Um, and it's very easy not to realise how many like-minded folks there are out there.
0: Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot. So where exactly do you live?
1: Um, I live just outside of Crookwell in New South Wales, Um, so inland from Goulburn a bit. Oh, okay, Uh, yeah. About 40 minutes drive from Goulburn, about an hour and a quarter from Canberra. Um, And we're at 900 metres, so it gets cool up here and it gets hot up here.
0: I bet, I bet. Mm. So you will get pretty bad frosts as well?
1: Yeah, we get frost down to about minus 8, minus 10. Um but we don't often get snow. The snow line around here is at about a thousand meters, so we get a little bit of snow, but it tends not to lie for more than you know a day or two at the most and we've had a very mild and moderately soggy winter for us this year so um yeah, the world's all a bit confused at the moment the garden
0: isn't it just yeah we're um we're experiencing temperatures that are unseasonably high here, so you live on a farm yeah
1: yeah i'm uh, we're on hundred and twenty acres, yeah. Um, and I'm retired from the paid workforce.
0: Okay, good.
1: Um, but I, so I tell people that this is my living. You can make a living by earning income. Yes. Or you can make a living by not spending it.
0: That's right, or making stuff yourself.
1: Yeah, so in fact, um, I, we have a, a small beef herd, of um, about 22 breeders and a bull. Yep. Um, But, you know, I've got um, three ewes and a ram, which is enough for lambs, and we buy in piglets once a year, and I make my own bacon and ham and sausage, and so all of the meat's home kill here.
0: Yep. So do you have some milking cows?
1: I have two Jersey girls. Oh, lovely. Um, And, in fact, having been cheese-obsessed my entire life, (laughs) um, that's what really started me making my own because I suddenly had far more milk than I knew what to do with.
0: Oh, okay. So what started this obsession besides the two cows?
1: Uh, the obsession started just because I've always loved cheese. And uh, from being a, a little girl, I have a very strong memory of being about seven years old. And um, there was one night of the week that I used to go to sort of a, uh, probably a swimming lesson, so I had to have a very light tea yep. before I went out. Um, my mother used to give me, um, this is in the UK, and she used to give me fresh bread and cheddar cheese and pickled onions. Oh, lovely! Um, or Wensleydale, which was much closer to where we lived, actually. Yeah. But um, so I grew up with those sort of things, and um, I think I said I, I wrote an, an an essay for school on on how to make cheese when I was about eight or nine or something. <laughs> okay. And. Um, you know, I've got a lot of friends who who'll tell you that I've I've said many times that if somebody told me I wasn't ever allowed to eat chocolate again, I'd be sad but okay. Yeah. But don't tell me I'm never allowed to eat cheese again because I shall just go and curl up and die right now.
0: Incredible. So, so I've
1: always loved cheese of almost every variety. Oh,
0: that's fantastic. And the
1: opportunity to make my own arose when I became um, inundated with milk.
0: Oh, okay. So when what year did that start?
1: Um. Well, I've only had the cow since last year.
0: Oh, okay. So you've made how many cheeses since then?
1: Oh, last time I sat down and looked at the cheese log, which has got some holes in it, I I had. Yeah. Um, I'm up over 150.
0: That's incredible.
1: Because when I'm milking both of the girls, I'm getting 18 to 20 litres a day, and I only milk once a day. Yeah. Um, and I'm only milking one of the ladies at the moment because the other one's um, a dried-up lady-in-waiting. Yep. Um, so I get 10 litres of Jersey milk a day.
0: That's incredible. That makes a lot of cheese, doesn't it?
1: Well, it does, and you can, I can actually end up completely slaved to the cheese. So I've actually, um, in the season when I actually have pigs here, and I don't at the moment, um, I don't feel too badly about feeding them. They get all the cheese away anyway. Yeah. But I don't feel too badly about feeding them um, excess milk. But um, I feel really bad about throwing excess milk into the compost heap.
0: <laughs> I can imagine.
1: <laughs> so I've, that's one of the reasons why we dried up one of the jerseys early. Oh, okay. But um, I uh, I skim milk for for butter four days of the week, and I make cheese two days of the week. And one day of the week, I bottle it for for um, some close family who who like to have a bottle of milk from us.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! Once
1: in a while too, so that stops me from being completely chained to a stirring pot.
0: Yeah, no, it's good to uh, to make it a couple of times a week. Well, I only make it once a fortnight now. So um, oh, right. And uh, yeah, so I I was making it once a week there for a while <laughs> for about yeah. a year and uh and then, I was
1: making it every second day for a while yeah. um and the novelty was wearing off. Oh,
0: I I wouldn't say the novelty was wearing off for me it was um that my garden was beg- beginning to become neglected.
1: So yeah. uh Well I I've I've now sort of rationalized what I make. I mean, you know, I make anything at one time or another. Yep. But most of the time I'll make I make either a, a, I make a kefili style, I make a a stirred curd cheddar style, and I make um, a washed curd more like a Havati. Oh
2: okay yeah. and
1: and I, and because I tend to do these at a lower temperature, that slows the whole process down, and I actually get some of my normal work done in between.
0: Oh goodness. That's really so, good. Um, so you don't the, make the any
1: So some ladies in uh, in america who who i um I correspond with on a forum. They said, oh, look, try doing this and see what happens and you can turn out perfectly respectable cheese if you forget to come and stir it for a while.
0: Yeah, it, um, it, it does go a bit chunky though, but I suppose you have to stir a little bit harder.
1: Yeah, you just <laughs> sort of like scrub your forearms and stick your hand in the pan and break it back up again. <laughs> yeah.
0: So where do you make all this wonderful cheese?
1: Um, In the kitchen. Oh, I okay. have a, a large sort of eat-in kitchen. We don't have a dining room, so it's very much the nerve centre of the house. So I have a, I have one steel pot that'll take about sixteen litres.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And another one that takes ten, and another one that takes five. So I have been, I've had thirty-three litres of milk on the stove at once in various pans. Goodness me! But that was not my best day.
0: I bet. I bet. No, it it gets a bit when confusing. I'd
1: too much and had to do something with it. Yes. But most of the time, I just love it. I just, I love the fact that it's. For me, it's not a very standardised process because I'll go away and do something else, or end up having to, you know, go and tend to some animal or something, and come back an hour after I had anticipated I would. Yep. But I've never, never produced anything inedible yet. I've produced some moderately ordinary cheeses, but uh, that ha- I have to build into my thinking of that that the milk varies so much as well.
2: Yeah, it would, not if you're
1: using a commercial milk, you know, my milk varies with the season. Yeah. And um, when I'm share milking with carbs, um, I don't get as much fat. I don't get as much um, butter fat in the milk. Yeah. So I went through quite a season of my cheeses being not dry, but relatively firm and, and crumbly. And that wasn't to do with the making of them. It had much more to do with the fact that I was probably not getting as much fat as I normally would in the milk at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, different different variables than uh, than you might be dealing with if
0: you were buying the milk in. Yeah, so some of the milks that uh, that you get in the supermarket they're a bit dubious of of their quality as well, even though people seem to drink them. But yeah, look, we, I think that uh, the home cheese maker and and probably the, the dairy cheese maker as 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 you are would have similar sort of challenges. And you're talking about milk quality. Really, you've got to pick. Unfortunately for me, I've got to pick the most expensive milk to get the yeah. non non homogenised sort of stuff that uh, you know makes a really good curd. Whereas you probably wouldn't have too much trouble with that; it'd just be the oh, overall. I've never had a problem with my yeah.
1: setting. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, I. Um,
1: I do. I, I generally make my cheese with raw milk. Yep. because um, that's just one whole time consuming process. I don't really need trying to fit this in with the rest of my life. Um, But I've found that for the sake of um, predictability, I'm best off pasteurizing first for making um, white mold and blue mold cheeses. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think I'm just removing, you know, the normal lactobacilli that I have in my milk. Um, I'm better off getting rid of those in some circumstances where at least I can standardize the product a bit more. I produced some interesting, edible but slightly funky camembert at one stage, <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was just the competition between the normal lactobacilli in my milk and the culture that I'd added. But it doesn't make any difference for any of the firmer cheeses.
0: Yeah, I think um, over. I... And, I, and
1: I do pasteurise for things like sour cream and yogurt, partly because they set better. Yep. When they've been heat treated, and again, partly for the for the uh, the purity of the culture. And the predictability of what I'm going to get. But apart from that, everything else around here is done with raw milk.
0: Oh, nice, nice. No, that's really good. So did you, did you say you had a goat?
1: No, no. No, so you that, haven't that tried that was goats my too? That fallback option, you see. Oh, okay. Yeah, I um, I sort of have rumbled under my breath about having a dairy cow for about the last five years, and my husband sort of, no way, not know how you ever having a dairy cow. <laughs> because his only experience of dairying was... Um, School holiday jobs on a commercial dairy. Yeah, um, and frankly, that would put a lot of people off. You know, that's the four o'clock starts and twice a day, and and it's a very onerous job. Huge respect for people who actually work in commercial dairying.
0: Yeah, my dad did um, that for many, many years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but. I, uh, you know, I sort of kept on trying to convince him that if I share milk with the calf and that meant I only had to milk once a day and even I could miss a day once in a while and and he just looked sceptical. And then he he met a lot of articles about the strange things they've been doing to our milk supply and I must admit that I had something to do with that. (laughs) Um, And uh, he came to me one day and he said, that's it, we're in the market for a jersey cow. Excellent. And then he said, well, if you want me to um, help out with this, I think we need a, um, a portable milking machine and a second cow. Oh, okay.
0: No, and good. So we
1: went from a nice idea to being inundated.
0: <laughs> That's incredible. So start off with thinking, oh, just, we'll just have one cow. Let's yeah, have two. Because you
1: know, every time he said I couldn't have a dairy cow, I said, well, in that case, I'll have a goat. He says, oh, my God, no, you won't.
0: Yeah. Hey, at least uh, you don't have to do it by hand.
1: Well, I, I still finish by hand.
0: Oh, okay, um, yep.
1: Because just to make sure that um, I get the lovely, rich, buttery hind milk. Because um, the, the first milk that comes through is relatively high in sugars and proteins. Um, and it's not until quite late in the milking that you start to get the butter fat, which is why when you're share milking with a calf, the, the cow actually holds up the hind milk and saves it for the calf. Yeah. So you end up with a little bit less um, mm. of the butter fat. Oh, but, okay. yeah, so I tend to hand finish now and that's my way of tricking the girls out of, ah. out of the good
0: bits. So you get a little bit more but, cream um, in there too.
1: But yeah, when when I'm, when I'm milking like 20 litres a day out of two cows, it's much, much easier to use the machine. Um, with one cow, it, it wouldn't take me too long to, to milk her by hand, but I think, again, I think the novelty might wear off on very cold days if I was trying to hand milk the two.
0: Yes. So what time do you milk them?
1: Oh, 7.30.
0: Oh, not 4 a.m. like my dad used to then.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, when I get out of bed and get dressed and, <laughs> and and cut up some pumpkin because they're complete trollops and they're anybody's for a bucket full of pumpkin. Oh, goodness me. Uh, or potato. Or, uh, they're the only animal I have found that willingly eats citrus. Oh, right. Because even your worms won't eat citrus.
0: No, they won't. No, they and don't the at chooks all.
1: won't eat the bloody citrus. <laughs> so, but cows love it. Yeah. So, what so do you, all of my misshapen um, citrus goes into the cow bucket as well. Oh, okay.
0: So, what are your, some? So, so, what are your, some? Uh, we talked about some of your challenges. So, what yeah. are your? What are your favourite cheeses to make?
1: Um, I think that's a difficult question because I really and uh, there are some of them that I enjoy making because I don't do them very often and therefore they're a bit of a challenge. And I don't make um uh, blue mould and white mould cheeses very often. Um, so th- they're always a bit special. Yes. Um, I, make it, I make the 30-minute mozzarella and I enjoy that because, because, like most people, I like quick results. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I like different cheeses for different reasons. For myself, my favourite cheese to eat would have to be a good mature cheddar.
0: Oh, okay, yeah.
1: But I also love those slightly more lactic crumblies like Wednesdaydale and Cofilli that aren't quite such long maturation cheeses. Um, partly because I grew
0: up on them and you really can't buy them in Australia. No, I know. And I'd never heard... Well, I'd heard of Wensleydale, you know, Wallace and Gromit, who hasn't. Yeah. Um, And then once I made it myself, I thought, my God, this is an amazing cheese.
1: Well I've got several friends who've who've actually traveled in the u k or lived there at one time or another who who um come over and sit and eat huge quantities of it in my kitchen once in a while um, because you can't get it anywhere else.
0: No, you can't buy it in the shop I've looked i really haven't no. I've even gone to a specialty um there was a cheese shop in Melbourne and they didn't didn't stock it
1: no but i think i think for I don't think it's a good cheese probably for world distribution yeah. because it's a relatively short maturation cheese. And if it, wasn't, if it didn't catch on at the other end, you'd probably end up with you know, with it having to sit around in the, in the, um, the cheesecake for a little bit too long. Yeah, it'd get,
0: it'd get quite strong and probably very, very crumbly.
1: It, just, it does. It, becomes, it just falls apart completely. Yeah. I have to say that I don't particularly mind it when it's like that. But um, but not you know I mean that's just it's a different cheese by the time it gets to that stage.
0: Yeah, I find that if you mature a farmhouse cheddar, same sort of thing, um, gets quite crumbly. I, yeah. I, I let one um, mature for a year, and the flavour was fantastic, but you couldn't cut it with a knife; it'd just pff, just fall apart. It was incredible.
1: I think the biggest challenge I've had with what I think of as you know the pressed or harder harder cheeses, is and I think and I, I'm assuming it, it harks back to my lack of butter fat earlier in the season, is that none of none of my cheddars melted very well. Oh, okay. Um, and I, th- I think that's the reduced fat thing. I mean, commercial reduced fat cheeses, I have no idea what they t- do to those to make them taste like cheese. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, I probably don't want to know. <laughs> you
2: probably but, don't. <laughs> so I've
1: got some nicer high fat cheddars sitting in there, um, but they're only about three months old at the moment, so I'm, I'm smack my hands every time I get oh, to go tra- and get yeah. one out. Um, I've opened, the, the old, I have opened a, um, a 10-month-old Parmesan lately, which was very nice, mm. and I re-waxed the rest of it and put it back. Yeah. The um, uh, Romano with um, black peppercorns, um, I, I managed to leave that in there for seven months, and that was extremely nice. Oh, but neither of those type of, of cheeses that you use. Um, that method, um, particularly mind using a lower fat milk because you'd not often standardise it to a to a, a two or three percent fat anyway. Yeah. Before you made those, so um, they the, the texture of those has turned out perfectly well. But I would have to admit that the. Um, the cheddar styles have tended to be a bit on the dry, crumbly side, and I think that's a milk-fat issue. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the ones that are sitting in there brewing at the moment.
0: Nice, nice. Mm. Yeah, I found that the cheddars that I've made, well, I suppose, I made a, a Cotswold recently, and I'm going to release the video for it um, in the oh, next yeah? week or so.
1: I've got one vaced in the, the... I've got an, an old fridge that... Um, the. the uh, reconditioned fridge that the repairman triggered the thermostat on for me.
0: Oh, okay, nice. Um, so it
1: normally runs at around about 12 degrees. And in this weather, I just turn it off and use it as an insulated cabinet. Yeah. Um, but it got too full. Oh, so full. the rest of mine <laughs> yeah, are all stacked right. in the downstairs shower at the moment.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be nice and humid it's, anyway.
1: Well, it's the coolest part of the house. Yeah. Um, and it's also the place where where every now and then somebody will go into my laundry and find a big sign that says off-limits go somewhere else on the downstairs shower and loo because <laughs> I've got salami um, hanging in the shower at that stage as well. That's Not incredible. at the moment, but uh, because it's nice and cool, I have a tendency to use it as my backup cheese <laughs> So
0: You've got so much cheese. So what's your favourite cheese to eat? You mentioned the cheddars and stuff. Anything yeah, in particular no, that I, you... The
1: three. The three I make most of the time would be because I like the crumbly lactic sort of um of taste of that. A nice cheddar, um and as a wash curd cheese I usually make a like a havati. Oh, okay. um, I like that uh, tried similar I've all to... of those with various flavourings. I've made um uh I've made the kafillies with sage, which is sort of fairly fairly standard. I've done havati with um caraway seeds. Yeah, yeah. I've done I make I make a sort of a cotswold with dried with some um, with chives and dried onions. Yeah. But uh, what was the other one I've done? Oh that's right. I did a Havati with um smoked jalapeno with with Chipotle chili flakes. Yeah. And yeah. that was divine.
0: That would have been amazing.
1: Yeah. So I've got huge jars of of um smoked um chilies. Red flakes. jalapenos <laughs> up in the in the pantry from last season. So I actually put some of those into the cheese and it was and that, it's very hit and miss, isn't it? When you don't really yeah. know how much to put in, but
0: yeah, I think if you luck put,
1: was on my side and it worked out really well, yeah, got f- a nice kick and a slightly smoky flavour.
0: I find if you put more than two teaspoons in, if you only because I make only eight litre batches, Um yeah. If I put more than two teaspoons of anything additional, then uh, it overpowers the cheese and takes away the the flavour. Yeah, you don't of the to lose the cheese,
1: yeah. in it that would be pointless.
0: Yeah, so it'd be like having a little bit of cheese with some flavour. Instead, yeah. <laughs> instead, the wrong way around.
1: Yeah. So I've, I've, now that I've have weaned the calves and and got all of my butter fat, I'm into I'm into butter making in a in a big way. And the nice thing, of course, about about butter is that I can make it when I've got the resources available and freeze it for when I haven't. Yeah. So I've made cultured and uncultured butter, and uh, miscellaneous, all the usual soft stuff. You know, I make yogurt or labneh, and I make. Um, like like cream cheeses. Um, I tend to use half and half to make a nice cream cheese.
0: Yeah. What about clotted cheeses and stuff like that?
1: Um, clotted I've cream. Made, I've made like large curd cottage cheese.
0: Yeah.
1: And I tell you what, it's infinitely nicer than anything you can buy in the shop. Oh,
0: I bet. I bet.
1: Would, because frankly, the stuff in the shop's horrible anyway.
0: Yeah. And I find um, that with the cream cheese as well is, uh, yeah. is ghastly. And
1: I, and, and I use the, the drained yogurt cheese um, with herbs and garlic because it's got a really nice tang. Well, that'd be or fabulous. I do it with dill. And serve it with, some um, we, we tend to make um, uh, home-cured salmon. We make gravlax for Christmas. Yep. So with the, the Herbie yogurt cheese, that's really, really nice too. Oh, be yummy. Very nice. So there's nothing nicer than, or more really sort of bone marrow satisfying yeah. than actually putting out a cheese board with things that you've made yourself.
0: So what would you drink with your cheese board?
1: Um, I like I like a relatively lighter style red wine, like a Pinot Noir. Yeah. My husband's a Shiraz or Cabernet man. Yeah. Um, and I like cider. I like dry cider with cheese, not but sweet cider.
0: It is. It is. But nervous, I like isn't dry it?
1: cider with cheese. A lot sorry, of, that would be
0: my other choice. Oh, fabulous! <laughs> I love the pinots, the the merlos that go with it. Sometimes yeah, something
1: sh- softer, yeah. something that hasn't got too much tannin.
0: Yeah, but if you have something a, a really flavoured cheese, like one with chilies, or maybe the the Cotswold with pickled onions, oh well, sorry, with that dried onion flakes and chives. The onions, yeah. Yeah, you need something a little bit stronger, something maybe a Shiraz or something like that.
1: Yeah, but um, he drinks some um, um, Cabernet Sauvignon, and that's just usually a little bit too heavy for me. Yeah, yeah. so I'll go to a, I'll go to a nice shiraz, but but not not so often. Yeah, um, and and in hot weather, truly, I do like a really nice dry cider with some of the cheeses. It goes very nicely. I've made um, uh, I've made fondue with cider instead of with some white wine. that would be lovely. And that's very very nice as well.
0: That's fantastic. So what? Um, there's lots of newbie cheesemakers out there. So what words of encouragement? Uh, would you have for these new cheesemakers?
1: Oh, just do it. <laughs>
0: I, <laughs> sound like I, Nike. I,
1: think, I mean, I'm a scientist by training, so I think having an understanding of the biology was helpful to me, but it's by no means necessary. I suggest you just find some reasonable instructions. And what I love about your, your video tutorials, Gavin, is the, the thing that you can't get from a book is what does the curd look like when it's ready.
0: Yeah, true.
1: And to see you, you know, sometimes squeeze a piece of curd and get a, get an idea of perhaps how squeaky or, or how firm it is, is incredibly helpful. But apart from that, just, you know, get yourself a set of instructions and have a go.
0: That's right. Get into it's it. It's
1: unlikely you will produce anything unpalatable.
0: Oh, well, I've done it once. <laughs> oh, yeah. I made a gouda that was not gouda at all. I don't know what it was, but. I ended up eating half of it, and the chickens ate the other half. Unfortunately, <laughs>
1: I have uh, my chickens eat fairly well, um, and there have been times when the the pigs ate fairly well, but not because it was particularly unpalatable, but uh, sometimes because it was very dry or ordinary, you know.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: Um, but yeah, no, I would tell people just you know don't don't be um, don't be put off by the process. You know, get a set of inst- i I I encourage people to make things like feta because I think it's quite quite easy and, um, uh, and the the thirty minute mozzarella is very easy to make, but I think don't think it's terribly easy to get right.
0: No, it, it does take a little bit of finesse, doesn't it? It
1: Takes a bit of practice to get the feel for what you're doing. Yeah. But but I I've got quite a lot of my friends now that start with yogurt and then they and then they drain it and they make labneh or yogurt cheese. Yeah. And then they've played with a culture and um, the only other thing thereafter is to get the idea of playing with a bit of rennet. Um, I'm probably one of the last generations that grew up with junket.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, with junket.
1: <laughs> um, which wasn't necessarily a good thing. No. But um, I do get a little frustrated trying to use recipes from lots of different sources with trying to standardise the, the, the rennet dose for yeah. the amount of milk. I find myself using my high school
0: algebra. Yes, it is It is a bit – some of the instructions are a bit dubious. I know some of the cheese books that I've read lately, um, they, they leave steps out. They leave – you know, and, and you only learn this through experience after you've made yeah, yeah. X amount of cheese. And I find some even one I rewrote the other day um, left out the main ingredient, which was salt. I couldn't believe it.
1: How could you not put salt in that? It won't work.
0: It It tastes like rubbish.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just rubbery,
0: rubbish.
1: Yeah. But yeah, so, but I I find, say, if I'm using an American recipe or, or it depends on where you get your rennet from, how strong it's going to be. Yeah,
0: exactly. It's very hard to tell.
1: The liquid rennet that I use um, produces, if I use 2 mils in 10 litres of milk, it will generally produce. A clean break in around about forty five minutes.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I use that as my so if I I find a cheese maker, I go and I find out how do they make cheddar, and how much of their rennet do they use for that amount of milk, and then I get my calculator down, um, yeah. pen and paper out, and work out therefore how much of mine do I need to. Oh goodness me. Yeah. But not being able to standardise rennet doses, I find frustrating. Yeah. yeah. But that's the only thing. Otherwise,
0: yes, I, th- I think if you use the um, uh, what's it called. A flocculation method yeah. um, is, is a good way, a good rule of thumb as well. Um, I've well, come across some recipes that say use double strength rennet, and you go, what the? And, yeah. uh, you know, because um, I can and, only get and single strength.
1: you know, double strength compared to what? Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, double, double strength and I would of say what? That
1: most of the American recipes, their rennet is definitely weaker than the stuff I'm using. Mm. And I use about two thirds of the amount that they say for the same amount of milk.
0: I find the same um, with cultures as well, that yeah, uh, the, yeah. the US so, books. Have like I, masses I amounts of culture. With,
1: uh, started off with the um, the home the um, the Willman's book.
0: Oh, okay. From she's from um, around Lara, and, I think, a little river.
1: Yeah, and uh, and tend to buy my supplies from Cheeselinks, Links, who are the same people. Yes, and therefore I've got I've got a textbook that standardises the rennet that I buy to certain volumes of milk for certain styles of cheese. Yeah, and that gives me a starting point to then go and jump off and use somebody else's recipe.
0: Yeah, sounds good.
1: But um, I have to say that much as I love cheesemaking, it's it's part of my everyday life and I cannot be a slave to it. And that, and that's my problem with... I love the flocculation method and I've played with it. Yeah. But I just cannot put aside that many hours in a day, two or three times a week, um, to use up the volume of milk I've got. So I have a tendency to do the... Oh what temperature is it when I get it out the cow? Oh look by the time I get it home it's about It'll
0: be the right temperature
2: yeah.
1: It's about 30 degrees. Well I'll throw some culture in it and I'll come back in an hour and see and I'll throw some rennet in it. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll come back in an hour and see what it looks like. Well, it looks like I should cut it up about now. <laughs> and I have to say that for the three styles of cheese I make most of the time, that works perfectly well.
0: That well, Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, Carol. Um, thanks very much for coming on the Little Green Cheese podcast. It's been a pleasure.
1: Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I hope everybody else uh, takes the advice and just has a go.
0: Oh, I hope so too. It's great fun, isn't it?
1: fantastic.
0: Right. so satisfying. All right, see you later, Carol.
1: Bye Gavin, bye. Bye.
0: Well, that's all we got time for this episode. For upcoming workshop dates, you can find recipes all at littlegreencheese.com. You can also find my ebook, Keep Calm and Make Cheese, the beginner's guide to cheese making at home. You can also find my cheese making video tutorials within the ebook or on my YouTube channel. Just search for Greening of Gavin. Thanks for listening, Curd Nerds, and stay tuned for the next episode of the Little Green Cheese podcast. During this podcast, you heard royalty free music by Clev- Kevin McLeod. I played Malt Shop Bop, News Theme and call to the dairy cows.